Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that is me, and Zara McDonald, the lady over there in a very big scarf. <laughs> well, it's raining outside and I'm trying to protect my hair for a wedding we're going to this afternoon. Ooh, no rest for the wicked. Coming up on today's show, we have a new bachelorette, but Zara and I cannot quite agree on whether she's the right choice or not. Plus, how baby names have become an exercise in branding and the royal affair rumours that just won't die down. But first, Zara, please tell me how your week was. (laughs) I'm so tired. (laughs) I think we've never been this depleted. So I feel like we should set the context up because this is going to be real fast and loose today. It is the morning after both of our live shows are completed. We planned the episode this morning. We prepped this morning and we are recording this afternoon. So it's not the morning after. I've already fucked this. <laughs> We're about to go to a wedding after this. Yeah. Yeah. It so has been one of the busiest weeks of our entire lives. It has. I think it's been the biggest week of my life. I don't yeah. know if that sounds a bit like an overstatement or a bit dramatic, but it's been huge. And in the process, both of my computers died. My work one and my personal one. Like it, one of them won't turn on and one of them I, I'm locked out of. And hasn't your phone been glitching too? You've had a few yeah. phone situations it, as well. It was one of those times as well when both of my computers collapsed where you were like, are you right? And I was like, well, I can't actually do anything about this. There's so much else going on. So I'm just going to put those computers to a side and work out how to work for this entire week without a computer, <laughs> which we managed. You worked on a desktop for the first time in about a decade. <laughs> it's a very slow desktop. Um, how was your week? It was good. I really, really enjoyed it. Obviously, we do have to give a massive thank you to Shopback, who is our Correct. presenting partner for the both the live shows. And they went awesome. I was so happy with how they went. We were obviously super, super nervous, but having some great brand partners on really helped us out as well. Totally. And with Superger on our feet as well. Couldn't have gone better. I, although even still, I was going to say we were in sneakers and I still tripped maybe three or four times in our rehearsals. And I was thinking if I'm tripping now in sneakers, what hope do I have in the actual show? I did not trip. Thank God we wore sneakers as well. Can you imagine standing up for the full show and then going and taking photos in front of the media wall and all that type of stuff? It was standing up for about four hours. I don't think I'll ever do it again without sneakers, truly. (laughs) Yeah, no, we're never doing a live show in anything but sneakers for sure. I do want to give a shout out to a few people that we met this week. There were a couple of girls who travelled all the way from Bendigo, I think it was. They were planning on catching the V-Line but got to Sunbury Station and the V-Line was cancelled so they got an Uber from Sunbury into Chapel Street. This was a wild roller coaster of a thread in our Facebook group. <laughs> when they realised that the trains had been cancelled, um, they did post in the Facebook group and everybody was getting around it and asking for updates when they got in the Uber and they were posting how expensive the Uber bill was. We were sort of <laughs> sitting in the green room being like, oh dear, I hope they made it. Oh dear, I hope they make it. And they made it. They did make it. We got a great selfie together and then put that on the thread. But people were really invested. They're like, you need to tell me if you got to the live show because I can't sleep until I know. (laughs) People are nothing if not dramatic. There were also a couple of girls who flew in from Perth on our Friday show, which was so lovely. I think there were two different couples of girls. There were. And Perth is not a short while away. It's about as far as you can get from Melbourne. We are so appreciative and thankful for those girls who came across. That is a mammoth effort, which means we have to make the effort back eventually. Yeah, we will be getting up to Perth as soon as we can. Getting up, getting across, not quite sure. <laughs> Bit of <laughs> getting both. up and across. Uh, we also had, of course, the girls who began a group chat. There were about a dozen 
solo shameless listeners who wanted to come to the live show but didn't have anyone to come with. So they all got together, created a group chat. I think they met up before the show. They had some drinks, Had I think. some drinks, rocked up, and we all got a photo together. So to those girls, I think that's just the spirit of the sisterhood. Is it? Yeah. I think it's amazing. I mean, the fact that, A, people want to come to the show by themselves is a credit to it. In this kind of world, not many people want to do that anymore, like be seen by themselves. But the fact that there's such like a pool and camaraderie together was like so warming and we have such cold hearts. Yeah, <laughs> I am so nice. I am interested. We haven't even discussed this, Zara, off the air, but yes. is it an unusual feeling for you? I am, to be blunt about it, still stunned that that many people wanted to come and see us just chat behind a microphone. It was a very surreal experience for me. Well, I we said this on the first show, I think, in that on the way in, we were talking about how we were feeling and we were both obviously like pretty petrified. And you said to me, I feel nervous as if we're about to do a big interview because I really want to impress these people. And I had the same sense in that, like, people listen to this podcast um, every week, but what if they come to this show and are completely underwhelmed by our presence? Because <laughs> we is, are pretty underwhelming. Totally, which is a completely very valid and very likely outcome. <laughs> and I kind of had the same sense in that I want these people to like the show as much as as hopefully they like the podcast, which is sort of how we went into it. It is, it's been a pretty crazy week um, and we are just so thankful that people turned up to our wedding. No, you know what it was? I was so thankful that everyone could at least get a Mecca Max gift bag as well. Because when we found out that Mecca Max was coming on board as a sponsor, we're like, well, at least everyone who's coming will feel like they got value for their money because Mecca Max has pulled out all the stops, as has a bunch of scrunch. And we just kind of needed to get up there and just say a few funny things and get back off. Exactly. They kind of had our backs because it meant that the pressure was well off us. So no, it's been a really wonderful week. We've had heaps of questions about whether those live shows will be recorded. They won't be, Mm. um, mainly because we have to be totally transparent. If people are coming to see a show, we want to make sure that they are paying money for something that is unique and can't just be recorded and put out to the masses. I know that's very frustrating for people uh, that couldn't get to the show that might be in other cities, which is why we will endeavour to get to as many as we can. But I guess the experience, we want to be intimate and we want it to be a bit more candid than it can potentially be over a recording. Absolutely. We just want it to be special. Yeah. I, I personally don't really enjoy listening to live recordings of shows. It just doesn't feel like the best type of content to me. I really appreciate that you guys might want that. But please understand that if people are forking out 40 or $50 for a ticket, we want to reward them with original content. But that doesn't mean that we weren't going to back it up on a Saturday <laughs> with this recording for you. <laughs> Which is fresh content, by the way. This isn't the show that we performed Not this week. All. The Quick and Dirty is a little bit similar to what we did this week. There are a few new stories in there, but... But other than that, it's a completely different show <gasps> because we are masochists and we are completely depleted. Let's actually get into the show, though, Michelle. Obviously, we are starting with The Bachelorette because it was announced this week. Yes, it was. Our new Bachelorette is former Gogglebox star Angie Kent. I'll give some facts about Angie for those who don't know who she is. Angie grew up on the Sunshine Coast. She is known on Gogglebox in particular, which she's not on anymore because that's a Foxtel show, but she's known for her love of foster animals. This year, she was on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. She made the final five and she's been working marketing and production for years. I did stalk her LinkedIn. Did you? Yeah, I go deep. Of course I did. I couldn't find it in any of the articles written about Angie. Angie, what she actually did. That's very interesting. I do. I don't mind a good LinkedIn stalk apart from the fact that you get a notification when we stalk. Yeah, she's been like an executive assistant, done some production work. Amazing. What the first thought that I had when this story broke on Friday, I think it was, was how Channel 10 and, and Warner Brothers has almost completely lost control of their own stories these days. Like I can't think of a time in the last couple of years.
years or the last couple of seasons where they have been able to be at the front of the story and announce it first, even with spoilers too, I mean, on the back end of the shows, but even at the start, they are never announcing this. And it just makes me wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Are they deliberately leaking it? Are they just have absolutely no control over the story? Are the paps just swarming on the filming set so they have Mm. no power? It is weird to to me because it's a little bit too early for my liking. Mm. I feel like ideally the Bachelorette would be announced in a few more weeks. Maybe it's only, it was only a couple of weeks ago that we found out who the Bachelor was. So it kind of feels quite overwhelming or like you're being flooded with this new leak when the Bachelor hasn't aired yet. We're not quite ready to hear about The Bachelorette. Well, I get the sense that Channel 10 weren't ready at all. Early in the day on Friday when it was leaked and everybody was reporting Who it. Who did leak it? I don't know. It was one of the glossy mags like New Weekly I thought it like was um, uh, Who maybe, but yeah. don't quote me on that. I first saw it on Now to Love anyway. And one of the things I found interesting is initially Channel 10 came out and said, we're not commenting on this yet. So they mm. said they weren't denying it. They weren't confirming it. They just said that they weren't commenting. And then obviously... Imagine the PR team at Channel 10. And then obviously three hours later, I see on Facebook that the official Bachelorette page had announced it. So it looks like they've gone far earlier than they intended. Mm. But it's it's curious to me that they haven't been able to find a workaround to these leaks. I agree. Before I get your opinion on whether or not you think Angie's the right choice... I do want to spill a little bit of tea, and I can't believe I just used that phrase. You want to what? Spill a little bit of tea. (laughs) (laughs) You know, okay, so what I didn't realise is Gogglebox is produced by Foxtel, right? I knew that part. What I didn't realise is that Gogglebox and Angie and Evie had a big falling out earlier this year. So when Angie announced that she would be going on I'm a Celebrity with Channel 10, the executive director of Foxtel, Brian Walsh, came out and said that he was really disappointed, particularly because Angie and Evie were very vocal about how they apparently weren't paid enough to be on Gogglebox. I think the words very vocal is interesting in this because I think they came out and spoke about how much they were paid and they might have had commentary on whether that was enough. But that obviously really pissed off the producers. Yeah. So the quote from Brian Walsh that really stuck with me was, from a promotional point of view, the issue that upsets Foxtel is the exploitation of the Gogglebox brand to market and sell another program. There's not much you can do about it because they made the decision to leave Gogglebox and they are quite entitled to pursue a career in television. So that's their choice. I was incredibly disappointed that they were critical of Foxtel and the appearance fee money we paid them to do Gogglebox. Those are fighting words. He's not holding back. And for, Absolutely a, not. for an executive director to come out and say that when they typically kind of dance around the point, try to be very uh, cordial about things. Those words, like incredibly disappointed, are very charged. Especially it's not like they've jumped networks completely. Like they're still Channel 10 stars, so it's not like they have completely jumped ship. I, I'm not sure I agree with him in his accusations that they're exploiting the brand. Like I think when Gogglebox is being made and they're picking talent, the risk that they have to run is that these people are going to get their own profiles and leverage off that. Like that's just the name of the game these days. Yeah, and Adam and Simon from Gogglebox have just launched a podcast. So I do wonder if Foxtel... And if Brian Walsh have an issue with that as well. Well, I don't think they want people on the show on Gogglebox that have been doing this. Like, I think they want fresh blood. And the the idea behind the show is very clearly that they are everyday Australians who aren't reality stars Mm. watching TV. I mean, if we're talking going back to The Bachelorette and whether Angie was the right choice, initially... I always get disappointed when it's someone who's been on TV before. I think you kind of fall into two distinct camps when it comes to The Bachelor. You're either someone who wants someone famous or you want someone that's new. But the more that I thought about it over the last sort of 24 hours, 
I don't know if The Bachelor actually could have picked someone unknown if they're already – The Bachelorette, I should say, could have picked someone unknown um, or fresh given they've already done that with The Bachelor. Yeah, and I feel like this does kind of straddle the two spheres that mm. play off one another. Yeah, Angie's known to a certain group of people. Number one, I wouldn't necessarily call her famous. Yeah. I'm not sure if widely – amongst our demographic she would be well known, but widely across Australia and across the people who would be watching The Bachelorette, I'm not 100% sure that she would have a huge profile the other thing i think is that she began as a typical person on gogglebox it's not like she's flooded by riches and wealth and privilege like this woman lives rents an apartment with her best friend in queensland i believe or in sydney or wherever they live now it's in melbourne in perth in brisbane in australia in australia I don't think this classifies as that typical, like, oh, they've gone for a celebrity who's just rolling around in all this money and lives a totally flashy, glorious lifestyle that no one can relate to. Well, I think what I mean by that is they've gone for somebody we've already seen before. So the last two are Sophie Monk and Honey Badger. But before that, it was Sam Frost, who is basically kind of exactly the same category. And that was very normal when mm. on reality TV kind of gained some kind of profile. I wonder, I mean, for me, this seems like smart and thoughtful marketing from Channel 10 and Warner Brothers to pick somebody who is liked um, at a time when they've also gone for somebody who is unknown in The Bachelor. Yeah. What I do really like here is the progression from picking Ali Ochen last Mm. year as The Bachelorette, who I was very outspoken about last year. I said she wasn't my choice. I've I predicted before the show began that it would be their least successful in their history, as did you, Zara, Mm. and we were right about that. But then again, lots of people predicted that and were (laughs) right about that. I didn't like that choice because they really focused on Ali Ochen's appearance. And aesthetic. And aesthetic. And they acted like that is what makes a woman desirable and the most eligible woman in Australia. The transition here to Angie is that they've clearly identified the fact that an Australian audience looks up to a woman who is strong-willed, funny, speaks her mind, is unapologetic about her personality. Angie is just vibrant and vivacious. And for that, I really appreciate this choice by Channel 10. No, I agree with that. There's very much a, a a no filter or no bullshit vibe around her, which is so nice to see. And I hope that's well received because I think the more outspoken and opinionated women we see on TV, the better for all of us. Mm. One fleeting thought I did have, and I think it will be interesting to see how this plays out, is this is the third reality show that Angie has appeared in for Channel 10. Now, not just any reality show, it's the third reality show she's appeared in for Channel 10 in the course of a year. I wonder how malleable that means she can be to Channel 10, that they sort of have a lot of power over her. And will she be more susceptible to Stockholm Syndrome in this kind of industry? If she hasn't experienced anything else or any other network, that's the only thing that concerns me that she, this is the third show in such a short amount of time with the same network. Thank you, next bitch. Today's Quick and Dirty is delayed because Zara is currently trying to figure out how on her very old PC, how to scroll down a document. I'm trying to use the arrow rather than the thing. Does anyway, it not have a touchpad? Is that how old this is? I just don't know how to use it. <laughs> it is now time for the Quick and Dirty. As always, we bring you five oh stories from God. the rough and tumble of the new cycle. Michelle Andrews, what have you got this week? All right, my first story. Jamie Foxx and Katie Holmes photograph together after he says he's single. That's from Just Jared. This story, I must say, I am very intrigued 
by. Yes, same. We did speak about this one at the live shows. It's interesting to me because Jamie Foxx and Katie Holmes, there were there was a lot of speculation earlier this year that they had split up. Apparently, Jamie Foxx was at an awards show after party and was telling whole rooms of celebrities and celebrity reporters that he and Katie were done. Exactly. He said he was single. And then over the course of the next month or so, there were pretty prolific and incessant stories about the fact he was single, which did peak, I think, last week. After those stories came out, they were very curiously packed in the middle of Central Park wearing the most ridiculous sort of beanies and disguises ever. Yeah, and this is the funny thing about Jamie Foxx and Katie Holmes because for all of the uh, commentary that they're supposedly above the media and don't really do interviews and are very, very private, it's unusual that every milestone and every... Uh, major event in their relationship has been marked by a very close-up, clear-shot paparazzi photo. To me, the photos of them together this week indicate that they might be tipping off paparazzi and that's how they're choosing to leak their relationship status. I actually think, though, it makes more sense for an overly private couple to tip off the paparazzi every so often. And the only other time I can think of is when they actually wanted to announce their relationship after maybe her five-year divorce contract from Tom Cruise had expired. <laughs> Old mate Tom. Um, but it makes more sense that they don't have to comment on anything. They don't have to say anything. We don't have to hear their words. A photo you know, what is it? Speak Tells a thousand words, speaks a thousand words. This is absolutely not the morning where I'm going to come up with good sayings. Your brain is mush right now. I think that's all we've got to say for that story. Second story. So. Number two, Demi Lovato slams report about her fuller figure saying, I am more than my weight. That's from Fox News. Were you across this? You I, look confused. No, I actually haven't seen this story at all. Okay, so there was a story in The Inquisitor that basically said Demi Lovato goes to the gym sporting full of figure. The entire article was basically commenting on Demi Lovato's weight, which is precarious given Demi Lovato has been very vocal about her history with eating disorders. That's bizarre that in this day and age someone would even bother using those words around a woman's body publicly. Full of figure. What I hate is that... They're trying to frame it in like a, oh, we're being positive way. When no, you're just being assholes. And you know what you're saying by fuller figure. You know what the imputation is there. Totally. Did she come out and comment on this? Yeah. So this was on her Instagram story. Some of the quotes that I really love and enjoy were, I'm angry that people think it's okay to write headlines about people's body shapes, especially a woman who has been so open about being in recovery from an eating disorder. Good on her. That's a crazy story. I have a lot of time for Demi Lovato. I really enjoy her. And I think she's another woman that doesn't pull any punches. And I appreciate that. Number three, Justin Bieber stepping away from music to focus on repairing some deep-rooted issues. This is another one from Fox News. I'm not sure when we decided that Fox News was <laughs> the purveyor of all our celebrity <laughs> gossip, but it is today. Um, Justin Bieber obviously announced on Instagram this week that he was stepping away from music. I think he's been pretty vocal about the fact that he is struggling with his mental health. I mm -hmm. think the entire world is kind of across that and in this day and age, it's uh, the silver lining of these kinds of stories are that he feels comfortable being able to say that and that people will largely accept it as true and let him be. Yeah. I mean, the one quote from this Instagram mm. caption that did give us a little bit of a giggle was, my swag is undeniable. Yeah. I feel like Justin Bieber is the only person in the world who could talk about really deep things like his mental health and the health of his marriage and his family and follow that up with, my swag is undeniable. <laughs> to their own. I mean, you can't deny it. No, you can't. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's great that someone can come out in 2019 and 
say that they're struggling with mental illness and that be seen as a totally legitimate excuse for not working. I said this again last night that I really appreciate the particularly AFL stars and athletes in Australia back here can say and be open about their mental illness struggles and then there's no real backlash to that anymore. It's totally accepted and fine. I really like that. I think we've come a really long way in legitimising mental illness. My fourth story, Jesse Smollett charges dropped. That's from CNN. And Zara, we have a correction to make here. Yeah, I think we have been pronouncing his name a little wrong in the past. Um, but let's go with Jesse Smollett from here. This story keeps getting a little bit weirder this week. Jesse Smollett, for those who don't remember, is the Empire actor who said that he was attacked in sort of a racially and homophobically fueled, I guess, rampage almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a pretty public police investigation about it. It was then reported that he may have set it up himself. He was charged with 16 felonies and this week, almost inexplicably, the charges were dropped. So ever since the charges have been dropped, there's been no real explanation as to why the charges may have been dropped. Perhaps it's because Chicago police potentially might have undermined their own investigation Mm. early on because it was so public. Like we had a step-by-step process of what was going on when we really shouldn't have been across it. No, um, not that early. Not that early. So maybe that was it. But there's really no explanation yet, which is uh, interesting and curious and, and sad. And I guess nobody really knows how to handle this story. Yeah, well, the world's most confusing celebrity story just had the most confusing ending. I have to say, if you do want a more thoughtful exploration on this topic, there's a really great episode on Still Processing, which is the New York Times' uh, culture podcast. Yes. And the two hosts sort of go into depth about their thought process around it and their feelings around it and sort of try to make sense of it. So I very much recommend that listen if you are interested in this story. Love that. Thank you. My last story for today is quick and dirty. That killed me. Chris Humphreys has opened up about his 72-day marriage to Kim Kardashian. Yes. Tell me about this. Well, look, the timing of this interview was really curious to me. Chris Humphreys has not spoken to the media very much at all in the, I think it's three or four years since his marriage to Kim Kardashian dissolved. And I think the timing here is crucial in that we've literally just recovered from the Jordan Wood scandal where the public, in my opinion, became a lot more cognizant of how the Kardashians run as a media empire and how they can really damage the lives of those in their orbit. So I think Chris Humphreys here was really capitalising on the fact that he as well was mocked and humiliated and vilified for his involvement in the Kardashian family. I think his timing here was crucial and I think it's important. Yeah, I think there is a little bit more disdain for the unparalleled power of the Kardashians at the moment. So I think that might be true in that he he's not going to get as much backlash for comments like this uh, than he might have got maybe a year ago. Mm, and it is confronting. Chris Humphreys was saying that the scrutiny and the attention on him was so intense that he couldn't even leave his house for a very, very long time, that he couldn't do his job, he's a basketballer, without having anxiety and really deep-rooted mental health issues again. So I think it's just important to be mindful of the fact that these people's lives can be really affected by their involvement in this family. And that's coming from a Kardashian fan. I love the Kardashians. No, it's true. But then you're also assuming that none of these people who walk into the family have any agency or power at all, which I don't necessarily agree with. I mean, it's it's a little more complicated than, than what I've just said, but I do think there's many layers to it. Agree. That's all for today's Cook and Dirty. Woohoo!
In case you missed it, this week there is a lot of chatter about celebrities and baby names. Front and centre of that conversation were two personalities. One, US YouTuber and interior designer, Mr. Kate, real name Kate Elbrecht. I have no idea why she calls herself Mr. Kate. It's Interesting. very confusing. Who announced to her of 3.3 million subscribers this week that her baby son's name is Moon. The second, influencer Sarah's Day, has been teasing out her baby boy's name for weeks, garnering attention and followers as she goes. Zara, in the age of social media, do you think baby names have become an exercise in branding? Yes, I do. And I hate to use the word branding about a baby that can't even feed itself yet. (laughs) But I do. And I don't, I should be careful to say, I don't think it's as conscious as people saying, I'm going to tease out my baby name because I, I want my baby to have a personal brand or I'm going to give my baby a super unique name because I want it to have a strong personal brand from the age of one day. I think it's actually more about a sense that we have in this day and age or a need and a want to be unique. Like I don't think there's ever been a time where we're all so obsessed with our own identities and our own identities being separate from each other. So I think this has informed a general movement where people are very cognizant of the fact that names matter and names can separate you from somebody else. And I think when we've got a tool like social media, that kind of idea is only going to be exacerbated and elevated. And the, I guess our pursuit of becoming more unique turns into a pursuit of a personal brand. Agree. Before we get too deep into this topic, I will give some context as well. So Mr. Kate, who again is a woman, named her baby Moon. Now that name I would argue is very unusual in our culture and our society. It is really worthwhile to point out that Moon is a very common name in Korea. So thank you to Jade, one of our listeners who pointed that out in the group. That's important context. I still don't know if that changes the nature of this story because it is a name that will gain attention. You don't call your baby Moon in the US or Australia or the UK and think, oh, that's not a name that will prick people's ears up. Does that make sense? Totally. But this is a name that people are going to talk about. Yes, absolutely. The second name, Sarah's Day's Baby, we actually don't know the name of. At the time of recording, there are a lot of clues around that indicate the baby boy might be called Finn, F-I-N, but we don't know that. We're not sure. So by the time this episode goes up, that might be confirmed, but that's the speculation at the moment. And here, of course, we're talking way more about Moon. Finn's quite a common name these days. We're talking way more about Mr. Kate's baby's name. I'm interested in this idea about whether it's almost complete personal branding or if it's just another classic case of we have more choice these days. Grace Jennings Edquist wrote this story for ABC Life um, a few months ago, and she wrote the trend toward picking distinctive baby names is driven partly by current society's focus on individuality and self-expression, as we've said, experts say, and partly influenced by parents' exposure to a wider range of naming options than ever before. So it is kind of twofold. But this is a topic that is steeped in controversy, right? I wrote an article for Mamma Mia when we worked there talking about celebrity baby names and how you can get attention by calling your baby something unusual. And I have never gotten so many negative comments in reply that were accusing me of being really unfair to these mothers. And it's not that. I do just think there's an interesting conversation to be had about whether baby names have become far more about the parents or the baby as a person itself. Some of the most ridiculous baby names we've seen recently are out of this world. Jessica Simpson named her son Ace Newt. Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon's son is named Moroccan. Nick Cannon's later son is called Golden Cannon. Lil Kim named her baby Royal Rain. Victoria's Secret model Doubts and Crows named her son Phil and Gore. It is interesting and I 
was not surprised. I remember when you wrote that story and there was backlash. I wasn't surprised because the names are so personal. Like people have such a personal attachment to the to names, both in a positive and negative way. I think you are so invested as a parent in the names you give your kids. My parents are super invested and kind of still am. But also the way we kind of associate names with personality traits. For example, a very classic thing is if you know someone who you didn't get along with very young who has a certain name, you're not going to like that name for the rest of your life, irrationally almost. Absolutely. I feel like baby names and name trends say a lot about us as a society. Even... This little stat says a lot, I think. In 2016, the four girls' names whose popularity dropped the most dramatically were Caitlin in the four different spellings. So with a C, with a K, with double N's on the end, whatever. And that was the same year that Caitlyn Jenner not only came out and transitioned, but also was the front and centre in a lot of political debate and was Mm. saying quite offensive things to whole groups of people. That's not a coincidence in my mind at all. I think names are such a marker of who we think we are. It's funny, even in myself, I know that with my conversations with you, but also my sisters and my girlfriends more generally, I never talk about what I think my future wedding will look like. I have never pictured my future wedding. However, we constantly have conversations about the baby names that we like and what we're thinking we're going to call our future children. And I think that's because we do see our babies' names as an extension of us. They're also a marker of what we like, who we are. If you go for something quite classical, it says something about you. If you go for something quite new and trendy, it says something about you. It's a decision that has a lot of meaning behind it. I think kind of might be an exercise in creativity too. In the same way, like we know our choices in clothing say a lot about us, I feel like our taste in names signal something about our taste more generally. Like, is are we signaling? I think we are. I think I agree with you. This is who I am. This is who and what I want to be seen to associate with. It's almost a little socioeconomic too. You're going to really like this quote. This is from Duana Taha, who's a writer and actually wrote a book called The Name Therapist about the culture and the history behind naming. And she said, naming is an enormously outsized marker of look how thoughtful we were with a side of we have been known to read books. It's true, though. In that ABC Life piece that I quoted before, Michelle Brady, who is a UQ senior research fellow in sociology, was interviewed and she said names mean something different now. It used to be that you were named after a grandparent or a religious figure. Now it's about individual identity. And I like this idea that names were once about the family unit and about honouring the people before us. Now I feel like we want babies to exist as their own entities with their own individual identities. There is a tiny bit of like a rock star vibe when you give a baby a really cool unique name but even it goes as far as this that the names invented by authors in popularized books have a huge influence on the baby name trends for the years after that so writers like oscar wilde popularized names without even realizing they were doing so so cora khaleesi portia thelma all very popular names now were actually all invented by very popular authors and again it indicates we are educated we read books I like this idea too, if we're going to talk about um, Sarah's day and how she sort of teased this out about how names are used by people generally or babies are used more generally by everyone as, as a way to sort of create hype. And this is not just about influencers or influencer culture that do this. This is actually, I think, incredibly widespread in that we do, we do love uh, an over-the-top pregnancy announcement. We do love a sort of the teasing of the name or announcing this stuff on social media and how it kind of can create hype. I'm interested in 
how babies and baby announcements and pregnancies in a, in a good way, I think, I, I have no issue with people leveraging off this, can be an exercise in branding themselves. Like, for example, Sam and Snajana, um, former Bachelor stars, when mm-hmm. they first announced their pregnancy, I think it was with a, a glossy tabloid. It was um, obviously very pre-planned. I think it was also very pre-planned to get people onto his uh, fitness it app. It was. I remember yeah. he said, um, go over there and we'll announce the gender. Yes. Or the sex. And when they announced their second pregnancy, uh, it had happened because Najana had posted a photo and people started commenting saying, are you pregnant? So they did a story and they said, yes, we're pregnant. And it was sort of like this evolution of them as public figures. First, it's very curated. And now they're more of a family unit where mm-hmm. things are more on the fly, more well, deliberately organic, which is kind of an oxymoron in the one sentence. But I do think that's interesting too. Yeah. And also from the outset, we have obviously spoken about Sarah's day a little bit on this podcast before, and we have approached her content critically or with a critical eye. I do want to really point out that we are absolutely not here to be nasty or mean towards Sarah's day. We are simply observing a system in which she's been super savvy and clever Yeah, because I think Sarah's day has been a fucking genius with the way she has played the theatrics and the actual milestones in this pregnancy. Number one, I know there have been a lot of threads in our Facebook group commenting on how Sarah's day has treated this pregnancy online and how she has kind of, uh, I guess, staggered different reveals about this baby, different updates about the pregnancy and then the name and then the first photo, all that type of stuff. Some people have been really critical of her in that group. I think she's savvy in that she can do that with her social media feed. So I did look this up on Social Blade. She has gained more than 30,000 followers in the three days since her son has been born. Yeah, that's amazing. I have no issue with this at all. I think in this day and age, it's it's these people's jobs to have an audience that are interested in what they're doing in their personal life. And if you are able to tease this stuff out to the point where people are really excited and still talking about it, I really don't mind, even if there's a baby involved. And I also think it would be really reductive of us to pretend that because she is teasing this out, she loves her baby any less. Like it can be two things at once. It doesn't have to be a black and white scenario like that. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that the baby is her utmost priority. Totally. It's kind of like make lemonade while you can. Like if you're going to. What was that saying? Because we're good at them today. (laughs) (laughs) But it's kind of like if you can have this community and foster this engagement why wouldn't you do that and there are people who are so invested in this name there are women in our group probably a dozen of them who have said they've been dreaming about this baby and this baby boy's name what does really interest me here is that we lap this shit up when it comes to childbirth and pregnancy updates we couldn't get enough really and I mean it is there is controversy when it comes to particularly postpartum baby body photos and I do think there is a conversation to have and keep having there however I really enjoy it I actually find a lot of it quite educational to see women talk about their pregnancies and kind of give a behind the scenes look even into pregnancy pads and what your body does in the days after and the real nitty gritty of what you go through when you do have a baby to someone who doesn't have a child and would probably be at least five years off having a child, hopefully. I really love this. So I'm not surprised that they do stagger these out because they know it's good content. And if it's good content and it's a positive subject matter, why not? Well, it's strange to me that given a lot of women in the world give birth and um, have babies and are pregnant, there's still a lot of confusion with uh, with regards to what pregnancy actually is and does amongst young women. Like I know fuck all about pregnancy and giving birth and I hope to do it one day. So for this content to be more prolific and public, um, 
and free, like let's be honest about it, we're not paying for this kind of content, then I don't know if that can be a bad thing. Like we're arming ourselves with more information that we wouldn't have got maybe 10 years ago. And also, sorry to use our own show title here, but to be shameless, to say, yeah, there's a lot of blood in the days after pregnancy and I can't control my bowels and I have no idea what's going on down there and everything hurts. I actually appreciate that. Like, I kind of want to know that. And I appreciate that women can go online and say that without feeling like this is a realm where it shouldn't be spoken about and that motherhood and pregnancy shouldn't be nitty gritty. I love the nitty gritty of this. I wish more women did it. And I really appreciate it in this scenario. I did want to wrap this segment in a quote that I found really interesting from 2013, actually, from Maria Konnikova, who wrote for The New Yorker. She said... Basically what you've already touched on, Mish, which is we see a name, implicitly associate different characteristics with it and use that association, however unknowingly, to make unrelated judgments about the competence and suitability of its bearer. The relevant question may not be what's in a name, but rather what signals do my name send and what does it imply? I love that. This week, some strange royal rumours appeared and they had nothing to do with Meghan Markle for once. Last weekend, The Sun wrote an exclusive piece alleging the Duchess of Cambridge had fallen out with one of her closest friends, Rose Hanbury. The rumours that came after were salacious and, dare I say, a little juicy. Was Prince William actually having an affair with Hanbury? Was this why the two women fell out? Mish, firstly, how do you feel about gossip like this and did this story actually penetrate your radar? I'll be brutally honest, I fucking love affairs stories and affair rumors there is nothing i appreciate more i mean the only Except element it's your own relationship <laughs> yeah. oh yeah because everyone's speculating if mitch and no, i are I... cheating on each other all i mean is imagine if they came for you you'll be like mm, shit these aren't so fun anymore oh my god <laughs> no the only one element that i would substitute in to make this a perfect story would be like an afl cheating scandal but i'll settle for a royals cheating mm. scandal i really appreciate it what i did notice about this was how suddenly it exploded yeah because this was apparently murmurs and whispers for a very long time and as soon as the first story went up lots of people jumped on it so it was in the cut the inquisitor w magazine express uk style caster very very quickly almost as if they had known or that they were willing to jump on this but they didn't want to go first it's such a classic case of news outlets not wanting to go first i think and and being a little concerned about what it means to go first so the sun did publish this exclusive piece and then what it means for news outlets that come after is they say oh well the sun said it we're just reporting what the sun Mm -hmm. said we're not reporting rumors we think we can just write an explainer on what the sun are saying which is a very funny and very common workaround for news outlets that don't want to say maybe the rumors they think are true. I think it's also an interesting exercise in defamation laws and new age media in that some American-based websites are really going for this because the defamation laws and what you can and can't say in America is quite different to what you can and can't say in the UK. But I do wonder the legalities around that. Well, it's like you can't really imagine the royal family coming after much. Like they came after, they've only come after a few things in their time, but I can't imagine them coming after this. Even so, I do want to give a bit of background before we actually launch into this because it's a bit of a complicated story with a lot of layers to it. And a lot of different names, which I don't understand, I apparently know. indicate some kind of royal hierarchy. I know, right? Yeah, British aristocratic names just crack me up. So like we said, The Sun published this exclusive report over the weekend about an alleged feud between the Duchess of Cambridge and a former model by the name of Rose Hanbury, who is now, forgive me, can you pronounce this? I will try. The I Marchioness don't... of Colomonomy? Of I'll go... Col Mondelay. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, it's Col Mondelay. <laughs> anyway, these guys live 
um, down in Norfolk. They live about three miles from each other. And Rose Hanbury and her husband David are apparently, and I shit you not, the unofficial leaders of the so-called Turnip Toffs, who are a group apparently of obscenely wealthy society people that live in the same area as Kate and Will. Um, so the uh, the story came out that the two had fallen out with absolutely no explanation as to why they had fallen out. After that, um, a, man, a journalist by the name of Richard Kay at the Daily Mail wrote a story alleging that both Kate Middleton and Rose Hanbury were sort of sussing out their legal options with regards to this story. And so from there, a lot of people are thinking and a lot of British journalists are saying, well, if why are you so protective of this story? Like, what are you trying to keep underneath the surface? And I think that's where the affair rumours started to swell. They swelled even particularly more when a man named Giles Corrin, who's another British journo and I think a notorious shit stirrer too. Yeah, he's regarded as being very on the pulse with royal news, yeah. but also as someone who really ignites controversy exactly. at every turn. So I think that context is important. He tweeted and then deleted that it was over an affair. Um, and I think that fact alone wouldn't normally pique my interest and maybe yours because I think we are very aware that a lot of this can be bullshit. But what did pique my interest was when a website called Laney Gossip started reporting. Yeah. And we've loved Laney Gossip for years. We really enjoy the content on Laney Gossip often because it's often true. Yeah. She's not an idiot. No, she's not. She's very clever and she's actually a huge influence on this podcast that you can approach celebrity in a really clever and critical way. But what she wrote about is the fact that royals don't usually try to shut down every rumor. They really try to keep themselves at a higher level to the media and not sink to that point to where they need to actually stop stories or uh, I guess play mum with the media and make sure that they're reporting on certain things and well, not others. All you have to do is look at the coverage of Meghan Markle and they haven't tried to stop that story once in the last six months. So I think no. that tells you how how they do pick and choose the stories they want to shut down. They typically try to write it out and almost play the game that nothing in the tabloids can be trusted and the only things that can be trusted is what actually leaks outside of the palace gate through royal officials. But now what's interesting is that they have considered the legal action and that does, according to Laney Gossip, and I'll quote, add another layer of intrigue here. Because if it's just a story about two women not getting along anymore, like how Kate and Megan allegedly haven't been getting along, why bother with the lawyers? And it's true. If they've let this Megan and Kate story fester, why are they not letting this Kate and what's her name, Zara? You're going to have to tell me quickly. Rose? Rose. Well why, done. Why are they not okay with Kate and Rose Fully. festering as well? It's absolutely true what's the difference here um sorry (laughs) allegedly no what i think is interesting and i would not be surprised if we had commentary back on this is that people might wonder what's the point in giving voice and rise to a conversation about rumor and i think that this story is particularly interesting and royal stories are not because of um, the rumours themselves, but because how they're shrouded in mystery and how the media then operate around that. Like that's the part about the story that I find interesting. And the machinations of rumours within the royal family are steeped in history. Again, the examples of royal affairs over the years are many. There was Princess Diana and James Gilby, Prince Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles, Sarah Ferguson and John Bryan, Princess Anne and Mark Phillips when Phillips had a love child with another woman while they were married. These, through the 70s, 80s and 90s, were absolute shit shows. They were 
thunderstorms in the palace. And so to have those decades absolutely marred by controversy, it's not a surprise to me that they would then be trying to squash this before another sex scandal or love affair scandal leaks. I don't know if this was true, if it could ever actually come out. I would be surprised if Prince William was actually having an affair that there would be a way for us to know for sure. And I know that might sound silly, but I just think the images and the personal brands, I hate to say it again, of Kate and Will are so well protected in the British monarchy that I do think that they would go to extreme lengths to make sure that this was kept quiet. Um, First and foremost, you have to look at the news today in the days after this story has been going public around the world to know that um, the Buckingham Palace or Kensington Palace, I should say, just announced today that Prince William will be going on a tour of New Zealand in the wake of the Christchurch attacks. Um, And the headlines that are coming, for example, people ran a headline um, talking about how he would then miss the birth of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's baby Mm. and that he might also miss uh, the first birthday of Prince Louis. And so it's a very quick pivot on the story. Let's sort of feed out. Let's get him out of the country. Let's send him to New Zealand in the wake of these terrorist attacks, which would be a nice thing for New Zealand, of course. Um, But also it's interesting, the dates. I would have no... I don't think it's a coincidence that he's going over the birthdays um, and I don't think that people would have been the dot connector there. I think that would have been pointed to them to ride. That is so interesting because this is the thing, right? Royal affairs do tear apart the royal family and they do really question the legitimacy of this family when we uphold them as these, I don't know, God-chosen royals with pure blood who... But that's how they brand themselves. Yeah, of course, but that's why this is a PR nightmare for them. If this is actually true and it does come out, which who knows if it ever will, it will be an absolute nightmare and crisis for them. I just... When it comes to this, I do wonder how much they could spin this because a lot of the speculation has been that Meghan Markle has been used as a decoy. I know that I oscillate as well between calling her Megan one second and Megan the other. I apologise. <laughs> Sarah's cringing right now across no, the table. No, I do too. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah. Has she been used as a decoy? Is that actually possible? And for all those uh, stories last week, which we did touch on really briefly, that apparently it's Prince William and Prince Harry who are feuding, I wonder if that, again, could be about an affair, that a brother doesn't endorse the way that the other brother has been treating his wife. I can imagine if one of my sisters, Clara Evelyn, watching you, cheated on their partner, I would have a falling out with them over that. It's funny because these are all exactly the same thoughts that I have had. And once again, we are working in rumor and and gossip, but I do think it matters and I do think it's interesting. In terms of whether Meghan Markle has been used as a decoy, you would hate to think that somebody was thrown under the bus like that. Though I have to say a lot of the stories, a lot of the early stories about Meghan Markle were coming from her own department. The leaks were coming from there when people were leaving, when her staff were quitting. Um, the stories about her having an argument with Kate Middleton over a flower girl. Like these leaks are all coming from within the walls. Within her camp. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that they would want to distract because what they can do in all having all of this negative publicity around Meghan Markle, they can just make a comparison between her and Princess Diana and just call it a fleeting moment in time where the press were mean to Meghan Markle. An affair, you're absolutely right, can kind of unravel all of the work that Kensington Palace has done in the last 10 years to completely rebrand the British monarchy. Yeah, and they have been successful in rebranding to that fairy tale ideal. Both weddings, both marriages are depicted as being kind of blissful, I guess, and perfect. It is reminiscent to me of the Beckhams, how the Beckhams had that 
big affair story break last year and then all of a sudden kind of disappeared, didn't speak about it, and it's just been left? Well, Lainey Gossett did touch on that in her piece about um, Kate and Will and spoke about how this also might not be rooted in anything. And she spoke a lot about how when that story broke um, about David and Victoria Beckham, and this was maybe a year ago now, Mish. Mm, it where, was when we, we were doing the podcast. I think it was yeah. about midway through last year. And it was basically this social media firestorm that blew up that started in a couple of tweets that became this international universal rumour. And Lainey Gossip said in this piece that she was calling her sources in the U- in the UK saying, is there anything to this? And all of her sources and all of her media contacts were saying they had not heard anything, that this did feel like a social media rumour that had gained unbelievable and fast traction. And the power of a rumour cannot be underestimated. Betting agencies stopped taking bets on whether or not they were going to get divorced because they saw it as a sure thing. It seems now with the power of hindsight that it wasn't rooted in fact or reality, that mm. that story. So, I mean, that does shine a new light on this story, though Lainey Gossip didn't go so far as to say that her sources weren't saying this wasn't true, which was like a triple negative in there somewhere. It's really tricky, right? Because even if your gut says, yes, this might have happened, and most of the signs along the way are indicating that this could have happened as well, you've got to feel sorry for the people at the heart of it because there's not much worse to be accused of than cheating and being unfaithful, particularly to a woman who has had three of your children, one of them very, very recently. So if this isn't true, I do actually hold a heap of sympathy for Prince William because that's a very, very hard rumour to come back from and to also reconcile with your own personality. It would be really tricky. Yeah, and he has evaded negative publicity almost for his entire life. Like there hasn't been much around Prince William that has been negative in the way that it has been around Harry. So I I can't see this gaining much momentum. Truly, I can't. I just think this will be the story that the royal family are most protective over, whether it's true or not. Um, and because of that, I don't know if we'll see much more of it. I think that's all we've got time for. I do. Thank you so much for joining us. We are... You just said I do. Are we getting married? Uh, well, you actually already did. We are, um, like we said at the start, pretty depleted. And we are so glad that you came on this ride for us today. We're, we're still awake. We don't look awake. I can tell you. Well, I'm looking at you right now, Zara, and we don't look very I actually awake. had like three yawns off mic during that. <laughs> before this wedding, we've already decided before we jumped to the microphones, like we need to do a sheet mask or we've got to get some type which of wedding or like, oh, the wedding we're actually going to yeah. yeah we keep talking about our own wedding as well which is just like very confusing for everyone anyway thank you for joining us once again thank you to Shopback and superga for their support of our live shows uh this week we could not have done it without you to mecca max brown brothers birdie cider. cider as well and then bunch of scrunch and match and maiden in our gift gift bags the support from all of you guys has meant so much to the people that came out once again thank you i know we keep saying thank you but it is, like Michelle said at the start, very surreal and we are so grateful to have your support. Hopefully you haven't dropped out of this podcast after this episode because we're so delirious. Um, but we will be on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and in the Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community. Which- we also have an announcement, which is very funny that we've left this into like literally the 57th minute mark. But we are doing In Conversations Weekly now. They're not going to be bi-weekly anymore. We will be dropping an In Conversation in your feed this Thursday and every Thursday. <laughs> Good luck to us. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. We will see you on Thursday now. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. 
Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.